Well, it's great to be back here again. Uh, for those of you who, who don't know me or my family, again, I'll introduce myself. Uh, my name is Chris Durier. Um, my wife and I and my children, we are uh, missionaries to Spain. Uh, we've been in pre-field for a long time, and uh, we're finally getting to the point where we're just about to leave. And so we're very excited about that. And uh, before I get into God's Word, I do want to um, share a little bit about what's happened with us for the last, through the last year. Obviously, I'm not going to go into the same depth as I did in Sunday school. And all those who are in Sunday school, amen. Um, so, um, but I do want to give a little background. So we were down in South Texas uh, for this last year, 2017. Um, and that was uh, for us to uh, begin learning Spanish. Um, obviously, Spanish is the language they speak in Spain. Um, for those of you who weren't aware of that. I don't, um, so uh, it was a year, and the, the way that was set up is we had 10 months of actual classes. In those 10 months, we received two years' worth of um, education. So it was a very a rapid, uh, fast-paced uh, learning system. It was like kind of drinking it through a fire hose. Um, but um, it was great. It gave us a very solid foundation um, for uh, when we get into Spain. And, of course, that's where we'll really acquire the language is once we get there. Uh, my wife struggled less than I did. She studied Spanish for eight years and minored it in college. Um, so when she got there, she just kind of started talking to people and everything was great. And when I got there, I asked where the bathroom was a lot because uh, that's all I knew how to say. So... Um, and people ask now, and I've, I mentioned this in the Sunday school class, people ask now, like, well, well how, how good are you at your Spanish now? And uh, I sound like a four-year-old in Spanish. Um, and I don't say that uh, necessarily to be funny, but that's, that's probably a good evaluation of where I'm at. It, uh, when you think in terms of vac- vocabulary and maybe how long it takes to kind of come up with what I want to say, yeah, I'm probably at the level of a four-year-old at this point. Um, but I'm okay with that because I just started. <laughs> um, so... Um, for those of you who speak any Spanish, um, I would love to practice. Just be patient with me. And please correct me when I say something wrong um, because I need the correction. I need to know what I'm doing wrong. So, um, <clears throat> I also want to share a quick story. As some of you may have read it in an update. Some of you may have not. Um, but uh, as we uh, came home from our language studies, uh, <clears throat> we had ourselves a little bit of an adventure, and I want to share this because I want to tie it in with uh, what I'm going to be sharing from God's Word. So uh, we had purchased a car uh, before we left for language school. Um, We needed something that could tow a trailer, and so we found a used vehicle that was from Indiana um, that we were able to use. And uh, it was fairly rusty, but we only needed it to last for a year. And so we went ahead and went with it, and it, it lasted pretty much exactly a year. Um, so, so mission accomplished. Um, so, uh, that got us down there. Um, and once we arrived in Texas, um, I started noticing that there was quite a lot of, uh, rattling coming from underneath the car. So I went to a mechanic, got it checked out and they said, you know, that the heat shield that you have between your muffler and the rest of the car is all rusted. It's coming loose. And he goes, and when I wanted, went to check to see how I could fix it, it just snapped right off. And I can't get the bolts out of the hole and everything else. He goes, but you know what? You got a lot of space between your muffler and everything else. You're fine. I wouldn't worry about it. And he was correct. We went through Texas. We drove all over the East Coast. We did all kinds of great stuff and never had a problem. We packed up all of our belongings to move back up here, loaded them all on the back, put a trailer on the back, and uh, the suspension of the truck compressed, which means all the stuff that was nice and far away from the muffler was now resting up against it including the gas tank. So, (laughs) 
Yeah, don't get ahead of me. So, <laughs> so we, we drove home, and we were on our, really, our, it was our last day of driving, and uh, we got as far as Fife, and uh, I noticed that the car was starting to make some growling noises and just wasn't behaving as it normally does, um, and uh, I just wanted to get home. So I was like, I'm ignoring this, I'm just going to get home. And uh, my daughter uh, decided it was time that she needed to use the restroom for the 45th time. So, um, so I was like, great. So we stopped in Fife and uh, stopped at the gas station. And I thought, well, I'll just fill up the gas tank while we're here. Might as well top it off so we have enough for tomorrow. And uh, started pumping the gas. And I heard, heard like a splashing sound. What is that sound? And I couldn't identify what it was until the fuel started pouring out from under the car. So what had happened is uh, over that time that we were driving, the muffler was slowly melting a hole into our fuel tank. And as we were making our way north from Oregon, um, it finally had opened up that hole, and the fuel level was below that hole, so we didn't notice it on the road. But of course, when I went to the pump and I started filling up, well, the fuel came up and it just started pouring out. And it came out onto the hot exhaust system. And so I stopped the pump. I ran around because my, my wife and daughter, they had gone into the restroom. They weren't in the car, but my son was buckled into his car seat. So I ran around to the other side of the car and got him out as rapidly as I could. We got away from the vehicle. Luckily, um, that was the extent of it. And uh, we got the car towed after standing around at a gas station for seven hours. If you ever want to do something really enjoyable, don't do that. That's not one of the things that's enjoyable in life. Um, but uh, um, I took it. We had it towed to a mechanic to see if it could possibly be fixed. And uh, he said, you know, there's so much rust under here. This car really isn't repairable at this point. And uh, the next thing he said is, um, somebody upstairs must really like you because there is absolutely no reason that car should not have burst into flame. So uh, I didn't really think about it before that. Uh, and I just, you know, things happened the way they happened, and I didn't really think about it. But when he mentioned that, um, the realization of what could have been our Christmas and New Year's was very different. I was standing in a pool of gasoline. My son was buckled into the car, so things could have gone very, very differently. So uh, we worship a loving and caring God who takes great care of us. And uh, I want to move forward with what, we, what, what I learned in, in, in language school. And <laughs> the, the, the obvious answer is I learned Spanish. Um, that's, not what I, that's not what I'm going to talk about today um, to that extent. Um, but somebody had asked me, a friend of mine named Kyle, uh, when we got back up here, within the first week, he'd asked me this very question. So what did you learn down in language school? And um, that's, he didn't mean, you know, like, well, I learned Spanish, duh. That's not what he's talking about. He was like, what, what did God teach you while you were down there? Because God teaches you at all times in your life. So what did God teach you while you were down there in language school? And that was the first time I had been asked that question. And so I thought about it for a moment. And uh, I realized that what he really taught me was humility. Learning to be humble before God. Learning to be humble before other people. And... For those of you who have ever had the opportunity 
to learn another language or even just try to communicate to somebody in another language, it is a very humbling experience. It's a difficult experience. We all like to come across as being intelligent and well-educated people who, who know something and can articulate ourselves clearly. The last time I couldn't articulate myself clearly was when I was a child, right? We understand what those of us who have young children, especially when they're two or three and they're just starting to talk, there's the struggle of them trying to articulate what they want to tell you, the information they want to give you, right? We all grow up past that point. We just get used to the idea that, man, I can say whatever I like and I can communicate what I want until you try to use another language. And then all of a sudden you're back into that childlike state where in my head I know what I want to tell you. I just can't tell you. I don't know how to say it. And so it's a very, it, it's, it can be a very difficult experience, a very trying experience. And so I wanted to share today what I was able to learn from that. So the, que- the first question we have in there is what, what exactly is humility? What, what does it mean? We use it a lot. We use the word, you know, humility. Oh, you know, I have a lot of humility or I know somebody who has a lot of humility or things like that. But sometimes we throw words around without really knowing what the meaning of the word is. Um, a great example, I remember when I was in high school, um, some <laughs> friends of mine and I, uh, when one of our friends, when it sounded like he was starting to kind of talk himself up or get a little proud of something he was doing, you know, we would just ask him, we're like, wow, getting a little, uh, getting a little proud there. And their, their response was always, oh, I'm not proud, I'm not, too, I'm not proud, I'm too good for that. So <laughs> that was kind of the inside joke that we had on that. So <clears throat> we all know that we should be humble, we all know uh, that it's a quality trait to have, uh, but do we know what it means, and especially do we, do we know what it means in a biblical context? Well, let's start off and look at what the dictionary, the English, the English dictionary, tells us that it means, okay? So in Webster's Dictionary, and um, forgive me, I might turn around occasionally here because um, I forgot my printed notes, so um, I might have to turn around and read these things because normally I'd read them here, and that's really small on that screen right there. (laughs) So it's either turn around or maybe I could walk up in the middle of this row right here. Anybody comfortable with that? So uh, Webster's Dictionary defines it as not proud, arrogant, or assertive, okay, or reflecting, expressing, or offered in a spirit of deference or submission. So how many of you, when you see this definition, that's, you're like, yeah, that's basically what I kind of understand it to mean, generally speaking. Not asking if those are the words you would put it in, but, but that makes sense to you, yes? Okay, yeah, and it makes sense to most of us. That's generally how we think of this term of humility, right? Is, being, is offering something in, in deference to somebody else, or not being proud, not being arrogant or assertive, um, that, that type of thing. We, we have that general model that we keep in our minds. Um, but the other thing we want to look at, though, that's, I think, a little bit more important is Sometimes, what does Scripture identify as humility? How is it defined in the Bible? Because we know that um, we have an English definition, but oftentimes when we read the Bible, uh, the Bible, okay, I've got a secret for everybody here. The Bible wasn't written in English originally, okay? So just, it was written in Hebrew and Greek. So we kind of want to look at the words that it was originally written in to kind of get a rough idea of how the writers of the Bible, what they were trying to communicate. So the Greek word um, is... That one, it's, <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that. I took a year of Spanish, not Greek, so I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm going to say it's like tapenos or something like that. And it conveys an idea 
and this is what I thought was really interesting when I saw this, the idea it conveys is having a right view of ourselves before God and others. And I thought that was interesting because for me, it was a little bit different way of how I'd always thought of humility in the past. Okay, Humility to me was something that, you know, um, I, I didn't typically think of it as a, a right view of who I am. I kind of thought it was something that maybe was owed to, you know, like I was being humble because I owed deference to somebody. Uh, for instance, if an authority figure. How many of you are humble before a police officer when you get pulled over? Right? <laughs> Most of us tend to be pretty humble about, you know, yes, sir, I was speeding, sir, you know, stuff like that. That humility tends to go away when the police officer walks away and we close our window, right? I mean, that's, you know, he gives you the ticket, you know, and you're like, oh, thank you, sir, I'll pay that. And the window goes, you little, you know. So that, right, it's, but we try to give that deference because we know he's an authority figure. But this has a very different connotation to it. And it's the idea that we understand who we are, who we really are, as we stand before God, and as we stand before other people. Because the truth of the matter is, especially when it comes to God, we are nothing special compared to him. We are his creation. There is nothing that allows us to walk up to God and thump our chest and say, hey God, uh, I got some ideas for you. Or I got a way that I want to do things. There's nothing that allows us to do that. We are the created beings in this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And so this humility doesn't come from the fact that, that, well, he just pulled us over and I need to roll down the window. Yes, sir. Thank you, God. Okay. No, it comes from the idea that we have a very correct understanding of who we are compared to who he is. And that also translates into having a correct understanding of who we are compared to the other people around us. And in that sense, where that really comes into place is we're all sinners. Every single one of us. Okay? And I know sometimes that when you have missionaries or a pastor or whoever it is, they come up on this stage and we stand behind this the stand pulpit thing, whatever it is, and there's a certain degree of, of feeling like that guy has it all together. Right? No. <laughs> no, there's a certain degree in which we do that. I know I've done the same thing. I've sat in the, in the pew or the chair down there, and I've looked at a pastor or missionary who's come in there. I'm like, man, this guy, this guy knows a lot. He knows his Bible. This guy has an incredible re- relationship with God. He just doesn't seem to have any struggles in that area at all. It's amazing. Uh, the problem is that is not true. <laughs> it's just not true. As a missionary, as the person who is standing in front of you today, I can assure you that I don't know everything that's in here. I don't have everything in here memorized. I don't have all the answers. And yes, I have my share of personal problems that I deal with on a regular basis. And I have to accept that and understand that because it allows me to have the correct view, the, the, the correct humility as I approach other people. How could I be expected to be used by God's hand to go to another location across the street or on the other side of the world and share the good news of Christ if I don't see other people, if I see, if I see myself as better than everybody else? How does that leave me open to being used by God? If I go across the street and I'm like, I'm just going because I've got I to gotta tell these Spaniards the business, man. 
I got to give them all the answers. I can't do that. I can't be used by God to do that. I'm, I go over there and I say, God, just use me. <laughs> I have a lot of weaknesses. And I have some strengths, some things you've blessed me with. Use whatever of those things you decide you want to use. Whatever of those things you need. Use the strengths. Great. In fact, I might feel more comfortable with those things sometimes. But use the weaknesses too. Because when you use the weaknesses, guess who gets all the credit for that? It's not me. It's definitely God who gets the credit for that. Because it's easily identifiable a lot of times to other people, but especially to me, that it wasn't me doing the work. So let's take a look at what humility looks like. What is the example that is given to us? Well, Jesus is the perfect example of humility. Let's just cut to the chase right now and just understand that when we want to know what humility is, let's look to Jesus. Okay? There are no other places to look. Don't look at me. Don't look at the other members of the church. Let's look to Jesus Christ. Okay? That's our perfect example of what humility is. And so let's take a look and see how that's done in there. The obedience to God. The truth of the matter is, if you're going to be humble before somebody else, uh, you're ready to obey. <laughs> you're ready to obey. We go back to getting pulled over by the police officer, right? Now, granted, we don't always have the correct view of humility in that position, but how many of you are ready to obey the police officer at that moment? You know, How many of you agree with him when he tells you to do something? You know, Can you step out of the car? Yes, I agree with you. Yeah, I should step out of the car. That's a good idea. Um, that's what humility brings is easy obedience and Jesus was in had easy obedience to God the Father now for those of you who might be new to the church or maybe this is your first time in a church we believe that God is the Holy Trinity three three in one okay I, I'm not going to try to explain it's a very complex thing but it's one God in, represented in three persons God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, okay? Like I said, it's, it's, it's hard for, all, for any of us to really wrap our minds around. So if you're new here and you have deep, deep theological questions about that, pastor's right over there. <laughs> <laughs> but those three persons in God, they have a relationship together. And God the Father gave the instructions, was, was giving the instructions to God to uh, uh, God the Son. I want you to become man. I want you to, to go down to earth for, for this creation. And God the Son, in the person of Jesus Christ, obeys. He's in perfect agreement with God. Let's take a look. Um, we read this earlier as well, but let's take a look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, excuse me, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Christ, this is a quote 
um, that I found. And uh, it's from a uh, missionary who had lived in South Africa uh, in the 1800s. And uh, he wrote this. And like I said, I forgot my notes, so I don't remember his name. Uh, so I apologize for that. Uh, but it says that, he says, Christ is the humility of God embodied in human nature, the eternal love humbling itself, clothing itself in the garb of meekness and gentleness to win and serve and save us. Nothing says humility like the creator God choosing to become like one of his creation to serve and save that creation. That's humility. That's the example that we're given of what humility is. I don't know that I would choose to do something of that sort for other people all the time. Let alone, I mean, I've, I've not created anything of my own hands. Obviously, I've not created, you know, like out of nothing, I've not created anything. I've tried a couple times. It doesn't work. Um, it's not happened. But to have the willingness to take something that you've created, many of you maybe are artists. Some of you might be potters or painters or something like that. And oftentimes, as we create something, if that thing doesn't go the way we want it to, we start over or we destroy it, right? That's pretty common practice. Now, I'm not trying to tell somebody who's an artist that is the wrong thing to do, but as the example is, I think we as human beings have a tendency to want things to go our way. And when they don't go our way, we get rid of it. And so even if I had the capability of creating something of my own, something that would be mine, if it went wrong, I would probably get rid of it. But that's not what God does. God has created something, and that something, those people, us, we chose something else. We chose to walk away from God. We said, you know what? Forget it. We don't need you. We don't want you. We can do this ourselves. And the amazing part of this is that God did not start over. He did not say, wow, that went completely wrong. I'm going to destroy it and do something else. No. Instead, he says, okay, I'm going to save this. And the way for me to do this is to become one of them and serve them. That's an incredible picture of humility. An amazing picture of humility that I, I don't have. Maybe some of you have it. I'll be generous. Say maybe some of you have it. Maybe not. Matthew 21.5. It says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now, what I really liked, what I really like about this verse, uh, who knows kind of what we call this situation that's happening here? What do we? What's the title we generally give this? Does anybody know? The, it's the entry. What do we call the what? The triumphal entry, right? This is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, right? And 
I always think it's, when I read this, as I was studying for this, it it just kind of floored me. I've I've read this many times, and I've seen it a lot. But I didn't realize, like, right in here in the description, right away, is your king is coming to you humble. And I find it interesting that we have this in here in a verse that we refer to as the triumphal entry. Now, the reason I find this entry is, generally speaking, if somebody is, is... triumphant, rarely are they described as being humble at that period in time. Now, we can all think of a few examples. We can think of some athletes who have won big games, and we say, like, I was really humble in the way he handled it. But the truth of the matter is, this, that's not the same as people declaring you king, <laughs> okay? So winning the Super Bowl is great, um, but I would have to say that it's not the same level as if somebody said, you're king! Okay, I don't, I've never done either. You can be surprised, it's okay. Um, So, however, I find it interesting that in this moment, that the description we have of Jesus is humble immediately. That it so much was a part of his personality, that was so much a part of his being, that even at this moment, when he's entering Jerusalem and everybody's waving the palm fronds and everybody's laying their coats down and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, and all this stuff that's going on around them, still the description that comes to mind for this writer is humble. Apparently, this is something that oozed out of Jesus in gallons. (laughs) He had humility to spare. Even at this point, he was still looked at as, as, as being willing to serve the people that he was with. They knew that clearly. Is that to say that maybe all the people in that location recognized it at the same time? Uh, maybe not. But man, it sure was recognizable to a, lot of, to, to a lot of other people. They recognized immediately, that is a humble guy. If I needed something, I could probably approach him right now as he's riding in. I, I just get that feeling. As opposed to most kings, if they're triumphantly entering a city, the last thing you want to do is approach them at that point, right? You know, excuse me, king. I've got a question for you about my taxes. <laughs> it's probably not the best idea. <clears throat> yeah, this is my thing. I like to go past my slides all the time. Okay, so the result of humility. We've, seen, we, we've kind of seen what humility is and what it means to be. We've seen our example. We've seen how Jesus has shown it um, in, a, in, a, in a few areas. But let's see what the result is. And you'll see what I mean here in a minute as we look at James 4.10. So I'll give you guys a moment as you turn your pages or you do your iPads or whatever else you're going to do for your Bible. Okay. James 4.10. It's a short verse. It just says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So, short, quick little verse. Now, how does that make you feel? What do you, does that sound exciting? It sounds good, right? If I humble myself before the Lord, then I'm going to be exalted. Am I the only one that's like, woohoo? That's awesome. That sounds great. Well, I think that's a pretty natural reaction. However, I think we need to look at the word exalt a little bit, okay, and find out what we're really talking about here. Also, 
So we look at exalt, and we think typically it's to elevate or to lift up, right? So if I humble myself before God, then he's going to lift me up and I'm going to look good. I think that's how some of us read that, right? I know I've read it in the past that way, right? Like, all right, I read this in the Bible somewhere, so I'm going to get really humble so I can be awesome. What? It doesn't really make any sense. And the other part of this problem is that we tend to, we, we do what's natural for us, we tend to make God's word about us, which is often our first mistake in approaching God's word. God's word is not about us. Surprise, surprise. Okay? So let's take a look at this. In the Bible, the way this is typically used, the, the, the words used for exalt in this particular passage of scripture has an idea that is to intensify, strengthen, sharpen, or to become more accurate. Now, that is a really different idea than what we have when we hear exalt, to become more accurate. Okay? So when we think of it this way, God isn't looking for us to have a desire to become great, to become the top dog, to feel like we have it all down. The idea uh, is... That he says, he will exalt you. In other words, he will allow us to have a better understanding of who he is, what he represents, and be able to have a better relationship with him, to become more accurate, to understand better his ways, his person, his being, his love, him. That's what it is to be exalted, to understand and know God better. And I don't know about you, but this sounds much better to me than what I originally thought. Because hopefully, as each and every one of us are walking in a relationship with God, our goal is, I want to know God more. I want to know Him better. I want to know Him more and more and more, and I want that relationship closer and closer and closer. And if that's the case, then yeah, I want to be exalted. I want to be exalted in the sense that I have become more accurate. It's a more accurate understanding of God that should be driving us to obedience. Because obedience is always easier when you agree with God. Okay? It's an obvious, it seems like an obvious statement, but let's be honest. Okay? This, this goes through all of our life. Okay? When I was a kid and my parents wanted me to take out the garbage, I disagreed with that. <laughs> I did not agree with that idea. I thought it was a terrible idea that I should do it. I thought the better idea was that they should take out the garbage. Amen? Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but that's not the way it worked. Now, as I got older and I understood how, how life worked and what it was to serve other people and everything, when my parents said, hey, can you take out the garbage for me? I agreed with them. Yeah, this is one of my responsibilities in the house. I have no problem doing that. Great. It's easier to obey somebody when you agree with them. Whether that's a person, whether that's your boss, whether that's your parents, whether that's the police officer, whether that's God. If we have a disagreement with God, if we don't agree with him on something, if we're not accurate in our understanding of God, guess what? It's really hard to obey him. It is really hard for me to step out in faith when he says, Chris, I want you to go to Spain. No, I disagree. I disagree. That doesn't sound right. I think you want me to go to get some pupusas. That's what I'm thinking. But no, 
If I have a correct understanding of God, what his desires are for my life and for other people, then when he says, Chris, I want you to go and serve me in Spain. All right. Okay. Now, does that mean that I have absolutely zero fear and trepidation? No. <laughs> not at all. Yes, I, I, I have worries. I have concerns. But it's not because I don't trust God. It's, just, it's, it's new stuff. It's stuff I haven't experienced before. It, it's, it's, I think it's natural to have those concerns and those worries. But do I let those worries drive me? No, because I trust the God that I have a relationship with. I have been able to have a better understanding, a more exact understanding of who God is. And thank goodness I'm still learning that. And I don't think I'll ever stop. It's an important thing to learn. I want to end our time here um, by kind of presenting a bit of a challenge. Um, it'll be for everybody, but I primarily want to start and talk to the high school age kids. How many high school age kids do we have in here today? Okay. Wow, you guys are in the front. All right. Well, because usually I'm like, how many high school kids do we have in here today? Somewhere over there? Yeah. So great. I'm glad you guys are in the front. So I, I, I want to um, kind of present the challenge to you guys first, okay? Um, so, I don't know what grades you're currently in, okay? Some of you might be freshmen, some of you might be seniors, but the truth of the matter is you start high school and you think, I have four years of high school, and it sounds like a long time. How many of you think four years sounds like a long time? Yes, please raise your hand because you're being honest. Thank you. Okay, four years, it does. It sounds like a long time. I'm going to be in high school forever. That's what it sounds like. And then you get to your senior year, and it feels like your senior year is going to be forever. And then you finally graduate, and then when you get to be my age then you're like, wow, that didn't take very much time at all. That, was, that went by pretty quick. And so here's what I want to challenge you with, okay? This is something I never did when I was in high school, and I wish I had, and that's why I want to present it to you, okay? Part of being humble before God is allowing him to direct your life. And one of the things that we deal with on a regular basis in our society is that we are inundated with the idea of what it means to grow up and be successful, Okay? We are told from the time we're very little that it's a great idea to, we want to get into school, we want to do well in school, we want to go to college, we want to find that thing that we really like to do, we want to do that job, we want to do well at that job, and we want to make a decent income so we can have a home and a car and a husband or wife and children and vacations, fill in the blanks of other things you might want, right? This is what we hear in our society on a regular basis. So that is what most of us, without really thinking about it, end up chasing. That's what I ended up chasing. I went into high school and I thought, what are the things that I like to do? What do I think I would be good at so that I can do those things and become successful? To whatever degree that is. I think we need to change how we look at those things. I think we need to be able to, to hopefully start here in changing how our society looks at what success is. And so for those of you who are in high school... If you have a place that you can go that, is, that can be just you, by yourself, quietly, alone, okay? I want you to go there, and I want you to spend some time with God, just the two of you. And the question that I want you to ask, I want you to be able to sit down and say, Lord, and if you've asked this question before, great. But if not, I want you to say, Lord, I've not asked this of you before, 
But God, first and foremost, do you want me in full-time ministry for you? I won't do anything else. I won't chase any other activities until I have heard from you that you don't want me in some kind of full-time professional ministry for you. I'm going to give you that first. You can, and if you direct me elsewhere, great. But that is the first thing I'm going to give. I'm giving my life to say, if you want me in full-time professional ministry, then lead me in that path, and I will follow. So that's my challenge to you as high school kids. Now, the rest of you aren't off the hook. Okay? I know. Oh, man. Okay. Many of us have careers already. We've been doing something for a long period of time, and I don't know what that is. Okay? But, again, if you're like me, if you're faulted like me, you sit in that career because it's what I want to do. It's what I've chosen to do. I am good at this job, and I like it. And sometimes I turn that into thinking that this is what, must, what God must have asked me to do because I want it and I like it. But we've never sat down ourselves and asked, God, I'm in this career now, but I've never offered this to you. Do you want me in full-time professional ministry for you? I will give up this to follow you in that line if you're leading me that way. And that is a hard thing to do. I will be honest with you. It's not an easy thing to do, okay? I had an okay career. I'll just say it was okay. It wasn't great. But I had, a, I had a, a decent career. And when I finally looked and said, God, I feel like you're calling me into full-time ministry. What do you want me to do? And he guided me. Man, there was a lot to give up. It's a very different lifestyle, folks. He might bless you with some of the, some of the things you like. But I'll tell you right now, I've gone from owning a home and cars and things to go in the home <laughs> and stuff like that uh, to I don't own a home, I don't own a car. We've given away all of our furniture. We've given away most of the things we own. We don't really own much of anything anymore. But I will tell you this. I've never felt so blessed in my life as I, as I do now. Yeah, I don't own very much, but you know what? God has shown me I don't need very much either. I just need God. I need him. He provides every single thing that I get. I've never been in desperate need for anything. That doesn't mean that I've never sat there and wrung my hands and said, oh, man, God, where is this going to come from? That's happened before, but it's always come. And so I've been, allowed, I've been able to have that confidence in who God is through that. And that's the challenge I want to present is, is, is to, to humble ourselves before God because we've heard the term before, you know, that the, uh, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. We hear that a lot. But if we can humble ourselves before God and say, okay, I've heard that, what do you want to do with me? And that's not to say he's necessarily going to send you overseas. You know, I'm, he's not necessarily going to go make you live in the bush in Africa or anything like that, okay? Don't, he might, but he might not. And he may even tell you, I have you exactly where I want you right now. But we have to be honest and open with ourselves and say, you know, no, I've, I've not offered myself in that way, and I need to do that. And I need to say, God, 
I'm all yours. And if you want to redirect my life right now, even though maybe I'm in my 50s or 60s or 70s, all right, there's no time like the present to start. 